Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have uh, started a new series of sermons about being in an intentional church. Last week we began that uh, sermon, uh, the, the set of sermons with uh, an intentional church is intentional in evangelism. That's right in the lane where we've been for so many weeks and we're talking about this um, this rebirth of God's vision in us and trying to become the church that God has called us to be. And in that process, in order for the church to be the church that God's called us, called us to be, we have to be the people God has called us to be. You know, men have to be the men God created you to be. Women, the women God has created you to be. Boys and girls. Who God's created you to be. And, and so we can't look, when, when we're talking about the church, don't miss the individual application of what we're talking about. For the church to be an inten intentional evangelism, each person has to be that way. You can't think about evangelism as that something for someone else to do. It's not for me. You can't do that. And today's sermon really kind of gets to the heart of that. I want to remind you of the vision that we have been, been talking about. And I, I be, it's, Brother Fred has given us this analogy of the spear, okay? And I just want to remind you of that. We are doubling down on what God has called us to be as a church. And the head of our spirit is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point of it, reaching all of those, the head of that, being reaching families with children still at home. What we understand is in our culture, statistics tell us, that if an individual hasn't accepted Christ by the age of 21, the percentage, the likelihood that that person accepts Christ, it greatly drops. So we have doubled down on reaching people for Christ, all people for Christ. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Everybody must be saved. But especially in our culture, we want to focus on families with children still at home, whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like. It could be their grandparents are raising their kids, grandkids. It could be that it's a single family home. Or whatever it looks like. We want to be focusing on that. We want to be focusing on reaching people for Christ. We want to be focusing on reaching families with children still at home with Christ. And there are several things that we've been talking about that we must be doing as a church in order to do that. We've got to, we have to have an awareness. We have to have an awareness of who the lost are in our community. Too often, we insulate ourselves as Christians. We think being a Christian means staying away from people who aren't Christians. That's so contrary to the Word. 
So we need to be aware of them. We need to be praying for the, for the, for the lost. We need to have a broken heart for the lost. We need to weep for the lost like Jesus wept for the lost. When he looked on Jerusalem and he just cried out loud, he had deep sobs for the lost. And that should be our heart. We need to be aware of them. We need to be praying for them. And we need to be equipping ourselves to have gospel conversations with them. Whatever that looks like. And the be- there's almost no more effective co- gospel conversation to have with someone than your story where you came to know Christ. Where He reached down into your lostness. Where He reached down into your hurt and your confusion and your dis- disillusionment and your pain and He spoke to you. When you can tell people your story... You can lead them to the one who can save them. And we talked about partnering as the partnership with First, First Baptist, with, with, other, with believers who, who attach themselves to this fellowship. We want to plan every service, every service with an opportunity for people to hear hear the gospel and then respond. We want our, in our kids' ministry that there would be frequent opportunities for children to respond to the gospel. In our youth ministry, that there would be frequent opportunities for people, students, to respond to the gospel. The gospel has to be at the forefront of what we do. Not to say that other things, marriage things, financial things, addiction things, grief things. Not that those things aren't important, but those are all of that must be, it has to be marinated and soaked in the gospel. Preeminent to what we do. No, no news is more important than Jesus died for you in your sin and provided salvation for you. Nothing should take more importance than that. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what this initiative's about. This uh, scheduling paradigm at the bottom. That's just, an imp- that's just an effort for us to think creatively about how to use our space when our church begins to grow. Because we've become so intentional in reaching our community. We can't forget though. What binds it together. The binding right behind the head of the spear. What put, keeps the head of the spear. On the shaft of the spear. The head of the spear. Our emphasis. The shaft of the spear. What carries that vision. We can't forget what binds that together. Is moving from theory to action. Moving from theory to action. Today, today's sermon and last week's, in this series of sermons, it's all about partnership. Becoming an intentional church. An intentional church. You know, our, our scripture is taken from Acts chapter 2, right? Last, and and, and la, as we read that in, in verse 42 and following, when we read that last week, we, our focus was on, on evangelism. 
and then we, we looked into Luke chapter 14 and we understand that our, perp, the perp, our purpose of evangelism, when we understand that, we can un- begin to understand our purpose of discipleship. Now, today, that's what our sermon is about. Intentional discipleship. And and to be an intentional church, we have to be intentional in evangelism. We have to be intentional in discipleship. Okay, look, I'm going to just tell you as a pastor, as a staff member, I'm sorry. I have to apologize. Churches have done a... in a large way, in a large number of them, have not done a good job of making disciples. We've done good. We've done well, if you will, if you want to call it well. We've done a good job at making church members. We've done a good job of making converts at times, but not disciples not disciples. you got to understand, in order to, uh, in order to be an effective evangelist, because it's really not an option for us not to be sharing the gospel. In order to do that, you've got to understand being a disciple. So we're going to talk about that today. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. It's sort of our, our bedrock, our, our, our foundation for discipleship. Right? Turn in your Bible, if you will. If you don't have it, that's okay. If you have your device, it's okay. But please, if you have your device, please use it to just to look at Scripture and not social media. That hurts my feelings. But turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 27. If you don't have either of those things, we'll have the Scripture on the screen for you. We have a lot of Scripture today, so get ready. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. I'm looking at the, uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Look, it's, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And look what he, look uh, further uh, in uh, Luke, uh, um, well, look again in another place in Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, If any man, and he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. So, intentional discipleship begins with taking up your cross daily. Now that is some Bible speak. That is some church ease right there. And if you... When we first look at that, we think about take up your cross. Well, that's what Jesus did. That was pretty bad. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm ready to be, to be a cross-taker-upper. So today, what we're going to talk about is what that means. All right, we're going to define taking up your cross by answering three questions today. All right, so this is where you can pick up in your sermon notes. We've got three questions, right? Here's question number one. Question number one is, what is a disciple? You, you talk about being a disciple. A lot of us, because we've not done a good job as churches is explaining what a disciple is, a lot of us don't know what that means. Well, here's what a disciple is. Ready? A disciple is, at its root, a learner. A disciple is a student. 
And in our definition and in our sort of practical application here, we're talking about being disciples of Jesus. Learners, students of Jesus. Look at at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Look, this is what Paul's writing. Paul's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. Okay? So he's teaching them on what? On being a disciple. Okay? He says, look, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, don't get in your mind Bruce Almighty, the movie. That's not what we're talking about. But be imitators of God. What does the Bible say about God? How has God revealed himself in his creation? That's what we are to imitate. So therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love. Wow. That is not easy. I'm not talking about love is love. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. This love is a Christ-like love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the love that God is talking about. Imitate God. Imitate God and walk in love. The love that Christ has displayed. Okay? So, what is a disciple? A learner. A, a student. An imitator of Jesus. You know what the, literally the term Christian means? Little Christ. We're to be little Christ. Many me's to Jesus. We're to look so much like Him in our lives that people want to call us, well, you're little Christ's. In the way we walk, in the way we talk, in the way we live, and what is important to us, how we serve and how we love. So that's what a disciple is. What does a disciple do is question number two. What does a disciple do? Discipleship, this is our definition, if you will, and it's sort of uh, modified from a Rick Warren definition. But this is discipleship. Discipleship is a process of leading people in God's power to be transformed, to be more like Jesus in their thoughts, Feelings and actions. Let's read that again. Discipleship is the process of leading people in God's power to be transformed, to be more like Jesus in their thoughts, feelings, and their actions. That's what a disciple does. A disciple leads others, a student, a learner, an imitator of God. A little Christ is engaged in the process of leading others to be students, learners, imitators of of God, to be little Christs. Look at Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. This is what Jesus said 
as he was going into heaven. This is a big deal. He said, go, therefore, and make what? Disciples. Not church members. Not converts. Not Republicans. Not Democrats. Not Georgia fans. Wait a minute, now you're meddling. <laughs> not, not any of that. He said, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you watch, when we baptize, and we've done that a lot lately, praise God. 25 baptisms in as many weeks, praise God. And more to come. Thank you, Lord. But when we baptize, we always say, who is your Lord and Savior? And the candidate replies with, Jesus Christ. And we say, upon your confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, did we baptize you, our little brother or our little sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Dead in your sin and raised to new life in Jesus. Do you see the beautiful imagery of that? That is ba baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, discipling them, leading them. Doing life with them to observe all that I have suggested to you. All that I have commanded you. And behold, and if, you, and if that scares you, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wow. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to do. There are two active components in what a disciple does. Ready? They're a relationship with God and a relationship with others. Taking up your cross. Let's look at this cross right here. You see it? See the cross? There are two vital aspects to discipleship. There is the vertical aspect of taking up your cross, which is being in right relationship with God. And then there is the horizontal aspect of your cross, taking up your cross, which is being in right relationship with others. Believers, and non-believers. Vital to understanding. So discipleship then is about knowing a bunch of stuff. No. Discipleship then is all about doing a bunch of stuff. No. Discipleship at its very essence is about a relationship with Jesus and relationship with the world. The knowing that you do and the doing that you do and the going that you do 
all hinges on relationship. Our relationship with God sends us into a world to be in right relationship with believers and then to point non-believers through relationship to Christ. That's discipleship. Now, we're going to flesh this out a little more. How does then a disciple do that? How do you do that? How does he or she do that? Discipleship means discipline. Uh, some of you said, well, that does it. I don't want anything to do with that. I didn't like discipline when I was a kid. I don't like discipline now. I don't want to be disciplined. I like to shoot from the hip. But there are disciplines that are vital to being a disciple of Christ. Please, if this is not your cup of tea, think, just stay with me for a little bit. See if this doesn't make sense. All right? So discipline, before we do this, let's pray. Let's pray. God, here we are in your presence. We're, we've sung to you. We've played instruments to you. We've prayed some have lifted their hands. We've lifted our voices and our hearts to you. I pray that you would remove all distractions now. Let our focus be on you now. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so there are three, three disciplines I want us to talk about today. Okay? Discipline number one, integral, integral to the life of the disciple. Intentional discipleship is a life disciplined by God's Word. A life disciplined by God's Word. We have a precious resource in God's Word. Here, here's the sad truth about it. We don't see it as precious. We say it is, but our life says something different. Oftentimes, we have an, a, just an absolutely wrong view of, of Scripture. And Mark 7, 6 gives a description of that. Mark 7, 6, look at this. And this is Jesus. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Many of us, when it comes to these disciplines that I'm about to talk about. First, you know, we've talked about an intentional, intentional discipleship is a life disciplining God's word. Many of us, when it comes to these disciplines, really are functionally Christian atheists. And it's not my term. I've borrowed it. It's a great term, great book, The Christian Atheist. We say 
God's word is everything to us. And we never pick it up to read it. We say God's word is our only source of truth. But how many of us have actually read the entire Bible? You say it's your source of truth and you haven't read it all. We say, well, whatever the Bible says, but we never spend time reading it. We, don't. we say things that would lead people to believe that this is important to us, but we don't give it the time of day. The most we do in reading the Bible is maybe what somebody posted on social media. Many of us are like driving down the road and we're craning our neck, reading the church sign, whatever church sign. Oh, okay, got it. Whew. Glad I had my devotion for the day. We say God's word is important, but we live something different. An inten intentional discipleship is a life disciplined in God's word. And that there are two aspects of this. There's knowing God's word. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. We've got to know God's word. You've got to know it. You know it when you read it. And you spend time in it. Let me tell you, there's no other book like this. Ever. No other book like this. The words in this book are life. No other book can make that claim. Truth. Here. No other book can make the claims that the Bible does. It's been proven over and over. The more it's tried, the more people try to disprove it, the more it stands the test of time. We have to know the Word. And we also have... So there's knowing God's Word, and then there's doing God's Word. Look at James 1.22. It says... But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can't just be about doing stuff and not and have no, no biblical understanding of why you're doing it. Many people do wonderful things for the, for the Lord, but they don't have any biblical understanding of why they do it. They do it because they like it. I go, I go on mission trips to help needy people because it makes me feel good. Not because, not because you have a deep love for, the, for Christ because of what He's done for you. And you are responding in love based on a deep understanding that you gain from the Word. 
knowing the Word, doing the Word. You know, in the, in Eastern, the Eastern culture, these concepts are not separated. To know it is to do it. If you do it, it must be because you know it. Only in the West do we think we can know something and not do it. Or do something and not know it. That concept is foreign outside of our culture. So you have to understand in the context of what Jesus is saying, what he's saying. You don't know it and not do it. And you don't do it and not know it. There are two aspects to a life an intentional, uh, and intentional discipleship is a life disciplined in God's Word. Those two aspects. Knowing and doing the Word. You know, when I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about a time in my life many years ago. Before these things. Before FaceTime and Laptops where you could talk to people many, many moons ago. When I was dating this beautiful, brown-eyed, curly-brown-haired girl. I was living in New Orleans, engaged to be married to her, Miss Leanne. Living in New Orleans, and she was in Mobile. We were both at school. Different states. If you've been to South Louisiana, some might even say that's a different world. All right? And we didn't, I didn't have a phone. I couldn't pick up the phone and talk to her. I couldn't text her. Do you remember calling cards? You had to dial it. You'd pick up a phone and dial this number, punch this number in, and it gave you a discount on your long distance. And the only way you could talk, if you were at a, a landline, a landline! <laughs> And so, and we were poor. We were in school. I was in, working on my master's degree at seminary, and Liam was working on her bachelor's degree off in college. And so the time that we got to actually spend on the phone was maybe once a week. Ready? For maybe 30 minutes. Crazy talk! But that's all we could afford. So what did we do? We got a pen and some paper and we wrote things to each other. And let me tell you, when I would open my mailbox, you know, you had a, here's another thing. In the mailbox, you had a things. You had a key. You remember those? Uh, now most students at college now have one of these things, but they they don't check. They check it once when they check into the dorm as a freshman, and then again when they're leaving as their senior. That's mailbox. Just text me. Anyway, I would go. Man, I would go. I would go check every day because maybe I would have gotten a letter from Leanne. And you know what she wrote in those letters? She wrote about how she missed me. She wrote about her day. 
And she told me she loved me. And I would write her back. Her letters always sound better than mine. Hers would like, sound like poetry, and mine sound like, <laughs> and, and so, when I got that letter, do you think I would read that letter? Wow, Leanne loves me. Great. And then, all right, I've read it. I don't ever have to read it again. I read it every day. Multiple times. Until I got another one. And did I take that letter, the old letter, and throw it away? No. I put it in my best shoebox. Leanne and I have been together for 33 years. Married for 28. I know, do the math. We were dated a long time. Married for 28 and I still have those letters. The God of all things, the creator of the universe, has written you. A love letter. And reading it every now and then doesn't do it justice. You ought to wear it out and keep it in your heart forever. Intentional discipleship is a life disciplined in God's word. Number two, intentional discipleship is a life disciplined in prayer. Look at Luke chapter 11, 1 through 4. This is how we ought to pray. The disciples came to Jesus. He was praying, and when he was finished, they said, Lord, will you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples? He said, sure. Here you go. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves, have forget, for, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Do you see the aspects of that prayer? It's about a relationship with God. And it's about a relationship with the world. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. You know, this is the Lord's Prayer. And this is just a snippet of it. But he said, it goes on in other places in the Gospels. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us this is all about relationship with God first and then with the world for thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's how you pray. But too, sadly, too often, this is what our prayer looks like. The atheist. We say we believe in prayer, but we won't do it. And if we do do it, it's gimme, gimme, gimme. Like God, some cosmic Santa Claus or some divine vending machine. Look at James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give God. I don't feel right, so make all the world change. Make everything out here change. I, w- I want to stay the same, but let's pray that everything else will change. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's how we pray. Here's the answer. John 15, verse 7. Look at this. John 15, 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Does that mean... If I read the Bible, God's going to give me a supermodel girlfriend. Or if I read the Bible, God's going to give me some hunky, good-looking boyfriend. Or if I read the Bible or go to church or check some boxes, then I'm going to get to drive a great car or go to the right school or have the right friends or get the right job. Is is God doing these things like my divine uh, rabbit's foot, my genie in a bottle? Is that what this is? No. Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, if you chase after me with all of your heart, and you love the way I've commanded you to love, which is how I have loved, if you do that, if you abide in me, and then my word abides in you, if you daily discipline yourself to read this love letter that I've poured out to you, if you will do that, then your desires will become My desires will become your desires. And your prayer will reflect that. And it will sound like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let me be in right relationship with you. So I can be in right relationship with the world. And when you do that, what you ask will be given. That's what Jesus is saying. Then there's discipline number three. Intentional discipleship is a life disciplined in love. It's love. So much more than our culture says about love. Luke 12, 31 says this. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In the, in the English Standard Version, it says, Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Loving God is seeking Him. Seeking Him. The first time I met Leanne, I wanted to chase her. I wanted to know about her. I wanted to know her. What makes her tick? What makes her think? What's her favorite color? What's her favorite flower? I pursued her. And my pursuit told the world with whom I was in love. Right? What does what you are pursuing today say to the world that you love? Mark 12, 30 and 31 says this. It's so important. This love is so important. But Jesus commanded it. He said, and... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I don't think he left anything out. Then he says, and the second, this is when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, this is, that's the first great commandment, and this is the second. He said, these two together are the greatest commandment. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with everything you are and then love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see it again? It's a relationship with God and then a relationship with others. This is discipleship. And it is seasoned, marinated, soaked in God's perfect Love. First John 4, 7 says this, look. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Right? Love is from God. And God gets to, des- to define what love is. We don't define it based on what we want. And what we like. God defines it. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Listen, we are never more, listen, like God than when we love like God. When we are loving God, the way God has commanded us to love Him and then others. We are never more like Him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 19. My last scripture. I told you it was going to be a lot. That according to the riches... Of his glory. This is, God, uh, this is Paul again writing to the church at Ephesus. 
He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look, this is... This is straight from Brother Fred's heart. Our pastor's heart. Listen. Our love is to be rooted and grounded. Stable and settled. So that in every life situation, the vastness and greatness of our love for God would make itself known to others. By our love we will disciple others to come and walk with God. Discipleship is essential for being an intentional believer and being an intentional church. Discipleship at its very core is about a deep, ever-growing love relationship with our Creator and our, and our Savior. And then out of that, reflecting that love to our world, those who, who believe with us and those who don't believe yet. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, I invite you to follow Him with us who are. What does that look like? First, you admit that you've done things, that you're not perfect, and you've done things that have separated you from a perfect God. He cannot exist with imperfection. So that sin... The Bible calls it sin. Separates us from Him. The Bible that I believe is true. Says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also says, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world, He loved. And he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life so you admit that about yourself and then you believe that God that you admit that you have that problem but God has provided the solution the only solution and then you trust him you just say to God okay I'm going to trust you that you are who you are Jesus is who He is. And I've done what I've done. You take the first step today and follow Him. If you want to do that, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. 
We're just going to bow our heads for a second. Just pray this prayer. Simple. Not simplistic at all, but simple. This prayer. God, I know I've sinned and I've done things that separate me from you. I'm sorry. Please come and take control of my life. I don't know all of what that means, but I choose today to trust you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.